Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot, and I mean a lot, to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page, along with the T Public Store link, along with the Patreon link. Shout out to Brian Wayne, the latest patron to sign up for the Parlay Club. One tier, $2 a month, and a lot of content on the way. Shout out to all our amazing patrons as well, because they have their own page on the website. That's what we do for them, because we want you to get to know them. Also at the website, Parlay Points blog section. If it's new comic book day, you know we got reviews. Mm-hmm. You heard the pop this week because this is one of the biggest weeks we did reviews for. Uh-huh. And this has been a massive turnout of views right now. So if you want to find out what everybody else is checking out, simple. Click on the link, find the great books you want to check out, and boom, you can go right to the comic shops and go get them. It's that easy. Also, you can check out the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 118,000. Sounds about right to me. The directory, which or the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and the music section, too. There is so much going on at odphpodcast.com that simply we say, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at the website, odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, there is no bigger story in entertainment right now than the massive hit... That debuted on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And Pad, you've got that information. Yeah, so that would be the video game adapt or the adaptation of the video game uh, from PlayStation and Naughty Dog, uh, titled The Last of Us. And it was a monster premiere. Uh, reading from an article on Variety.com, it reads, "Quote: HBO series adaptation of hit PlayStation game The Last of Us premiered Sunday, drawing the premium cable channel's second biggest debut of the last 13 years, behind only House of the Dragon." Per Nielsen ratings and Warner Brothers Discovery own first-party data, the first episode of the Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey-led drama scored 4.7 million U.S. viewers across both wow. both linear HBO Channel and streamer HBO Max. Uh, the fi- that that figure makes The Last of Us premiere the second biggest, largest opening for an HBO show since Boardwalk Empire premiered in 2010, well before HBO Max had launched and even before its predecessor predecessor streamers hbo go and hbo now were widely available to customers uh close quote uh and there is an update to this because uh the article was updated uh wednesday at 11 38 a.m pacific time uh saying quote the last of us premiere episode has reached more than 10 million viewers across its first two days of availability with hbo disclosing on wednesday the show crossed that milestone Tuesday night, which means The Last of Us has caught up to House of the Dragons' initial series premiere audience in just two days. Close quote. Well, you had to think that this might happen because they really loaded up this cast. Pedro Pascal, who is the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. who is one of the biggest names in Hollywood right now, 
is in the lead role as Joel Miller. Oh, yeah. Bella Ramsey, who we know from Game of Thrones, yep. is in the co-lead role yep. as Ellie Williams. Gabriel Luna, who plays Tommy, we know from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, yeah. Ghost Rider. Yeah. And they really loaded up from top to bottom this cast. Like I said, that's the three names that really jumped out to me. Oh, yeah. But if you go through the lineage of like who's on the show, like it's a big cast. They were also advertising this show everywhere because I own a uh, television that's a Roku TV. Mm-hmm. And I turned on my television uh, Sunday night to get ready to watch it. And on the right side of the screen where there's sometimes ads for like shows to like some sometimes it's like a movie on a streaming service to watch or a show on a streaming service to watch whatever. But this time it was The Last of Us. And I know in the days leading up to and since uh, when I turned on my PlayStation, there was a thing that popped up on PlayStation about it. And Mm. I know from a friend who sent me a photo, they advertised this damn thing on the Xbox dashboard on Sunday and Monday. Yeah. So this thing was advertised everywhere. Well, when you have a cast like this and when you are adapting a hit video game franchise, you're going to bring in a lot of different viewers from a lot of different genres because mm-hmm. there's a video game audience that is just going to tune in to see what it looks like. You have the pop culture audience is going to tune in because they, they know the actors involved. And then you're going to have just the curious viewers that keep seeing the hype about this. So everybody's going to tune in to see this, but there's so much writing on this because what it boils down to is it's a video game adaptation mm-hmm. of one of the most popular franchises. It's critically acclaimed. It's raved by fans all oh, over God, the place. Yeah. The The Last of Us is one of the biggest franchises to come out in video game modern history yeah. in the last 10 years, I would and, say. And if you're an Xbox guy or a PC guy or even a Nintendo guy and you're sitting there going, well, is it really one of the biggest franchises? Yes, it is. I mean, the game was first released on the PlayStation 3 worldwide on June 14th, 2013. It was then re-released on PlayStation 4 uh, in North America on July 29th, 2014, and then on some other locations on July 30th. 2014 and August 1st at 2014. And I know it's not listed on here on the release dates because it hasn't been released yet. It's getting a third release for the PlayStation five. So if clearly it's real popular, if they're re-releasing the damn thing three times, right? The story is amazing. And if you haven't been following it, this is why it's translated on screen. And that's why I said, they really loaded up this cast. When you have co-leads such as Bella Ramsey, such as Pedro Pascal, you know, you're going to bring in a lot of fans for this. Oh, yeah. And the expectations were super high about this, and especially when you are adapting this. And like I say, I keep focusing on this point because we have seen some awful video game adaptation shows. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Doom comes to mind. Yeah. Where do you want to begin? Mario Brothers. It's very rare to adapt a video game to live action. Mm Mm-hmm. No matter what form, movies, TV, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it is. I mean, even the Halo series that came out recently. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. A lot of mixed feelings about that one. Yeah. Some people really dug it. Some people, uh, different yeah. story. Yeah. To each their own. So when you're bringing one of the biggest franchises to screen, the expectations are astronomical. Mm-hmm. And especially with HBO Max making, I don't want to say a comeback, but let's talk about this. When you have Netflix, which has obviously had much success with their oh, yeah. original content, yeah, Amazon Studios is really coming along oh, yeah. with a lot of their franchises. You hate thinking, and of course Disney, Disney, Disney Plus, Plus, but I mean that's that's a whole entity unto itself. Hulu's got some too. Right. You have to think for HBO Max, which has had a lot of, I don't want to say turmoil, but uh, a lot of 
controversy, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, for as, a lot of good as they've had with the movie selection and television show selection, you know, with past stuff and even some new stuff, you mm. know, for as much selection as they've had, they've certainly taken a few black eyes with all of the shows getting canceled and all of the movies getting canceled and what have you that like they're you know you kind of had that that run with house of the dragon where house of the dragon was the biggest thing on the internet and and television yeah you know and then one seemed like once house of the dragon ended then they kind of like started taking some right right hooks from mike tyson yeah no they started taking some else and obviously with the changeover that happened with warner brothers discovery yeah. and, and whatever the fallout is that really impacted your favorite shows on there it definitely made people kind of question, could HBO Max come back? Like, is this really going to deliver? I have to say, as we're going to go now into spoiler-free discussion about the show, I really think they nailed it. Mm -hmm. I really think that they came with a strong presentation. I really feel that the actors did a fine job about translating the content to the pop culture audience, which is so key, because the video game audience is going to be very critical no matter what. But you have to win over the pop culture audience to really create that buzz that is going to carry you through. Much like House of the Dragon had to with the fallout feelings of Game of Thrones. They had to come in. They had to really deliver on something, and for they did for the most part. Right. Matt Smith is still the best. I will not hear anything yeah, otherwise. Yeah, this is true. But for this show, they really nailed it top to bottom. Pad, your spoiler-free statement about the show? This show is fantastic from start to finish. Now, I will admit, being a PlayStation guy, I haven't played the game. I know that might be heresy to some folks, but I don't remember why I haven't played it. I think it was just the case because the game came out in 2013. Uh, something else must have come out around the same time that like was a bigger priority to me at the time. Kingdom Hearts? No, Kingdom Hearts was in a law at that point. We're not going to talk about it. Okay. Uh, no, something else like, like an Assassin's Creed or, or an Uncharted or Infamous or, or something. Or I'd have to look it up. Something else must have come out around that time that just took up so much of my time and and focus that it just one of those ones it just slid by me you know and i've just never gotten around to playing it since so i went in, into this i know a little bit about it i know some of the story details and the characters i'm familiar with joel and, and ellie you know and i can i know it's post-apocalyptic and some of the kind of plot details but i don't know everything but going into this i, I don't, I don't want to say lukewarm but kind of like i'm not frozen but i'm kind of thawed if we're talking meat products here or food products, you know, I, I had a lot of expectations for this just because, like you said, video game adaptations can be hard to do. I mean, we've had bad ones like the, like the Mario Brothers movie. We've had some OK ones. I would say, you know, the uh, Need for Speed movie with Aaron Paul, you know, yep. was OK. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but it was OK. You know, and, and then you've got the you know, you've got the great adaptations, you know, like they did with the uh, what is it? The one on netflix the animated series i'm blanking on arcane or whatever it is. oh yeah arcane arcane you know where you've got that which is just such a hit with people and people love it there's there's just a wide range so video game adaptations hard to do you know and not always good to execute but i gotta say from seeing the photos and the comparisons between you know the game and the, what they showed on the show you know, and just what I saw on screen, I liked what I saw. You know, I think it helps that you've got uh, Neil Druckmann uh, writing and, and one of the producers on the show. He wrote the story for the game. Mm -hmm. So this is about his, you know, you've got the guy who this is his baby. This is his idea. You know, the video game studio Naughty Dog is involved with the process of this. So this ain't, this ain't like going to make a Mario movie and the writers and creators of Mario aren't involved. Right. You know, or it's going to be a train wreck, you know. 
you've got the writers and creators of this franchise involved, and I think that helps a lot. You know, obviously, they, they, from what I understand, they've had to make some some changes to it just for visual purposes sure. and, and just for making it sim- simple for folks to understand, you know, and just a difference of medium. You know, but for what I saw on screen, I loved it. So that said, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking this out. Make sure to follow, drop a five-star review. It definitely helps the cause. We like to give a spoiler-free statement as we just did. So we give you fair warning now. We are going to go into spoiler talk. We give a countdown in case you need to duck out for whatever reason. So if you don't want to talk spoilers with us right now, that's cool. Come back when you're ready to. The notes are time-stamped in this show, so you can just read the liner notes. You'll know when to duck out if you need to. But after the countdown, we go full spoiler talk. So you have been forewarned. That said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you really think? I was astounded how quickly this took off. And I, and I mean story-wise. Mm-hmm. Just because every show these days that, that's new and, and starting out well, seems to love to do the slow burn. Yeah. Which is fine in certain instances. You know, it's worked. Others, it's kind of been like, all right, let's just get going. This, not the case. You know, it, it took a wonderful time setting it all up, introducing us to the characters, kind of getting us familiar with it without revealing everything. But like, hey, we're just going to give you some bare bones details, you know, just so you know who, who they are, what's going on. And then the foot went on the gas pedal and here we fucking go. And I loved it. You know, from, this is one of the best pilots I've seen in a long time. And this show has a lot of promise. I agree. I thought they nailed it for a debut. I thought they hit the ground running. And much like I talked about in the spoiler-free statement, you needed to win over the pop culture audience. I feel they did. I had the same sense of when I watched The Walking Dead for the first time. In the way that I was seeing on social media how people were reacting to this show. Right. Because if you really want to temp in the room, just go on Twitter, go on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And go on somewhere where you're just watching fan reaction. Mm -hmm. Not saying you have to jump in and make a comment, but just watch how everybody is acting to this. Universally, it seemed like this one fans over. There were some people that didn't like it. Some people were very, very critical. They wasn't following the game, X, Y, and Z. Sure. Which doesn't matter what you do. You're going to have that happen anytime you do an adaptation. It doesn't matter if it's comics. It doesn't matter if it's a TV show being redone. Mm-hmm. You're going to have critics. Yeah. But I thought for the most part, they really sold it to a new audience. And for me, I know about the story. It's been a long time since I've delved into it. Right. But I thought they really captured the essence of it. I think they added a couple things in here and there. Yeah. That really gave it a little more gravity. And especially trying to translate this, that it didn't come off like a Walking Dead ripoff, that it didn't come off like something we've already seen. It did have a fresh feel to it, albeit, though, it was confusing for a little bit. Because when they do the time jump, I don't remember them putting in a stamp saying 20 years. I I think they did. They might have, and I might have blinked and missed it. So, like, it kind of threw me, but obviously I knew what was going on. So it didn't take me that much out of it, but it was like, okay, we really moved a lot here we are, okay, the next phase is now taking place. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I might have missed that, and it happens if it does. I saw, I will say the one reaction I liked from fans online was some of the folks who played the game going, oh, this show's totally unrealistic. I didn't see Joel die 18 times before he finally figured out what to do in, <laughs> in the episode. That, yeah. that was some of, my, some of my favorite, and there were varying uh, phrases of that, but that was some of my favorite reactions online. Well, I felt that for the most part the fans were not being super toxic. No. Like there was a couple that I saw I was like, all right, come on. But for the most part, I think everybody really enjoyed it for what it was. And I think people are excited to see what the series is going to do. And especially for HBO Max and Warner Brothers, 
they really need to keep the momentum going they had from House of the Dragon. I feel that with the streaming wars, so to speak, heating up, and there's a lot of content coming from all yeah. major players. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we could do a show like that. I know Tyler from 30 and Nerdy always does one. This is one of those areas that if you really want to be relevant, you got to have a hit. You can't have a falter when there's so much eyes on your product. Oh yeah, I mean cuz just I mean just looking ahead to when this this season ends, you know, this uh ninth there's nine episodes this season uh and it looks like the ninth and final episode is going to air on March 12th, 2023, which is and we're going to talk about it in the next segment mm-hmm. when The Mandalorian season 3 is going to be starting up and we know Stranger Things is coming down the road. And Lord knows what all else is coming out this year that like listen, there's going to be a lot of noise and you got to stick out. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. You need to make yourself relevant. I feel the show did. I think it's winning right now. And I thought it came out perfect timing, too, because you're right now in a in a weird lull, so to speak. I right. mean, there's other shows that came out, too. Hunters on Amazon's Prime Video is amazing, so you definitely need to go check that. But I think for what this tied into, the video game audience, the pop culture audience, the horror audience, yeah. to be honest with yeah. you. I think they brought in so many fans, and I think universally they delivered on it. And it really started out with the creepy tone they did from the talk show. I want to say it was in 1967, 68. It was in the 60s or 70s, yeah. Yeah, it was early then. And you had Dr. Newman, played mm-hmm. by John Henn, explaining about this fungal threat. Right. And really giving this dire feeling of the future. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing good about this yeah. as he was trying to explain this. It was a weird way to start the show, and I don't mean that in a bad way, just because, you know... It starts off, and like you said, it's this old footage. It's supposed to look like this old footage from like the 60s or 70s, and it's almost like this like Nova PBS yeah. science channel type thing where there's a panel and there's a moderator and there's two guys on, on the panel who are like science to scientists, and there's an audience, and they're basically just having this discussion of like, okay, you know, basically like, okay, we lived through world wars. We've lived through nuclear bombs going on, getting dropped. They're like, what's the next big thing? What's the next thing we should worry about? And this doctor just goes, honestly, fungus. Yeah. And how they played into it, you could get that idea, too, because when they did the intro crawl, mm-hmm. it was much in the same vein of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. But with a lot of fungus. Yeah. Uh, listen, if there's anything HBO can do fantastically well, it is uh, television show intros. Yes. So the opening crawl, it, it had that. Yeah, yeah. So you had an idea of what was spreading here, and you could hear with his words how this was really taking place. And painting that picture, you set the tone early, which mm-hmm. I thought they needed to do mm-hmm. because for a lot of people jumping in, first time watching, you're going, okay, what is this all about? So he gives this prediction about how this is going to conquer the world. And mm-hmm. you know, if if something bad happens, this is where it's going to come from. Yeah. Then they do the time jump to, you would say present time, but I believe they said it in 2003. Yeah, they said it was in 2003. And you do get introduced to the family of Joel and his daughter, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So you obviously have Pedro Pascal is playing Joel and his daughter, Sarah, played by Nico Parker. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that, you know, it's basically a typical day for the family. Yeah. She's getting up. Got to get ready for get ready for her day. Yep. And she's being very coy about what she's trying to do, because what she's playing off is she's trying to go get Joel's watch fixed. Yep. From a local watchmaker. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the Joel is just trying to say, you know, just be a dad and, and just like, really. Oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, just kind of like look out for her. And he's talking about his job too as well. Yep. He's working with his brother, Tommy, who's played by Gabriel Luna. Mm-hmm. And they go out to do their job. And you see that Sarah goes to the watchmaker and is 
trying to get the watch fixed. And as she goes downtown, mm-hmm. when she's on the way, she goes and runs into the neighbors too. Yep. We have to m- mention that. Yep. Because the neighbors are just your typical older family that's yeah. next door. They, they watch out for her. Yeah, they're trying to watch out. Like, you haven't been here lately. You definitely want to, you know, come over and say hi. And you're seeing the, the one older gentleman is feeding his wife. Yep. Because she cannot take care of herself. Yep. And that will come back into play later. And she also borrows a movie from them because, uh, to watch with Joel. Yes. So, obviously, it's a very suburban feeling. Yeah. It's, you know, nothing happy wrong. Happy-go-lucky. Very happy-go-lucky. But as you see, when Sarah goes gets the watch fixed, there's something going on downtown Austin, Texas. Well, here. what is it? She's in there waiting on the watch to get fixed. And was it a jet or a helicopter went over? I can't uh, helicopter, I believe. Helicopter goes over and she's kind of like, like, oh, that's weird. Like, it's it's something not of the ordinary to see in, in this neighborhood. Like, what's going on? It's she because like it goes over and she doesn't just stand there like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like she no, she pauses and kind of tilts her head a little bit. It looks like oh, what the heck's going on? Yeah. So. Quickly, the lock or the clocksmith's wife yeah. comes in and says, "We're shutting down early. We're closing. We're closing early. It's like three or four in the afternoon." And and the husband just looks at her and goes, "We don't close till 7. She's like, "No, screw you. We're closing now." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I'm done with the watch, so here you can take it home." So she winds up going home. Yeah, because at the at the wife's, uh, you know, ur- urgency, urgency, urgency. Yeah, she goes like, "Oh, what's going on?" Like, "No, no, don't worry about it. You just need to get home right now." Yeah, you need to leave. So she goes home and kind of falls asleep, and mm-hmm. then we get to the nighttime of yep. being in a, t- uh, you know, obviously, where they're stationed. I believe it was Austin, Texas. It, it, if it wasn't in Austin, it was right outside. It was right outside. And she kind of wakes up, and she's hearing a lot of stuff going yeah. on. Yeah, well, because what is it? She was watched. She had dinner with Joel, and then they were watching the movie. She fell, That's right. She fell asleep, and then she wakes up, and, and like, shit's kicking off. Yeah, because Joel had to go bail his brother out from jail. Yeah, his brother got in a bar fight. Yeah. Some so. dude tried hitting on the bartender, and, and he didn't take kindly to that, so he stood up for the bartender and swung at the guy and got put in jail. Yeah, it's kind of a blink and miss moment. but And it's also a Friday. I remember he says it's a Friday, so he's like, you need because Joel doesn't want to do it. Yeah, Joel doesn't want to Joel, do it. Joel's like, screw you, you need to learn a lesson and, and sit in there for, for the night. He goes, no, listen, dude, it's, it's Friday, so if you don't come get me now, the courts are closed on the weekend. I'm going to sit here until Monday. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird scenario going on, but she, he takes off. So Sarah's left by herself and gets woken up because there's flashing lights going on. So there's like a green light. Yeah, there's all types of insanity starting to slowly break out overhead. So you're seeing that obviously there's a military presence that's coming in. Like I think a fighter jet went over at this point. Yeah. So obviously she's like, what's going on? So she kind of takes a, a walk next door and she notices that the neighbor's door is wide open. Mm-hmm. And thinking something suspicious, which I was like, why are you going in their house if you see the, the door is wide open? Because this wouldn't be a horror series without some stupid decisions. Right. It just goes up to one thing, Pad, and that's what? Reasons. So as she goes inside, she finds that the older gentleman yeah. is lying in the kitchen, bleeding to death, mm-hmm. and had something bit out of his neck. Yeah. And then she turns and sees that the elderly woman who could not feed herself mm-hmm. is now feeding on somebody else in the house. Uh-huh. And she does the smart thing and runs. runs. Yeah. Because obviously shit is hitting the fan. And this is with the older woman and fucking booking it after her. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is this World is... War Z zombie man. Yeah, I was going to say this ain't Walking Dead's slow, saunterly jo- uh, walk here. No, nah, they're sprinting. They're sprinting. So you see Sarah go flying out of the house. The older woman is chasing her. 
Luckily, Joel and the, his brother Tommy show up yep. and save the day. Joel has to take a wrench, wrench a steel wrench, yeah. and smash her head in. He's, yeah, he goes, uh, he goes, Sarah, duck, and he just swings. Yeah. And Sarah, being a young girl, is like, what the hell is going on? And he's just like, we got to go now. Yeah. So, obviously, when he went downtown to get Tommy. He saw what happened. He saw what happened. And now this, I got to say, special effects-wise, amazing job. Mm -hmm. If you want to really portray the insanity of a pandemic, this was perfect. Right from inside the vehicle. Yep. I love the camera shot yeah, from this because that was great. It, it just stayed with the truck as it's going through. You're seeing them trying to drive through downtown. Obviously, it's not going through. People are running crazy in the streets because they're because yeah. it's literally hell is breaking loose. Well, because they try to go for the interstate and leave town via the, the highway or the interstate, and mm-hmm. of course, everyone and either Tommy or Joel, I forget who it is, says, "Oh, I guess everyone had the same idea," and they go, "Screw it, we're not going to do this. We're going to get caught." Go off roading. Yep. So they go off roading through the through the wilderness or whatever, and they end up back in town. And that's when they see everybody running. Buildings are on fire. But the entire time, this is so. Once they leave the highway, the entire time this sequence is going on, it's from inside the truck. Yes. And it's from like the back seat of the truck. So they get into town. Shit's kicking off sideways. You know, people are running, looting. Buildings are on fire. You know, they try going up a side street, but everyone comes pouring out of it, and they're like, back up, back up, back up. You know, at one point they're driving through the town and something comes crashing out of the sky. It's like a plane. Or a plane a, comes crashing down. A plane comes crashing out. And so everyone's running in one direction while the truck that Joel, Tommy, and Sarah are going are backing up. Everyone sees the plane coming down and they're like, shit, go the other way. Yeah. While people are getting mowed down because the, the plane crashes and they're, they're just trying to escape. Yeah. It's a, an absolute anarchy scene the truck gets flipped uh sarah gets injured her ankle gets injured at this point yeah so joel has to start carrying her yeah because she can't stand her own they get separated from tommy yeah because another car cuts them off before they're running so tommy is like i'll catch up with you they start running and they are starting to hear a little bit like more danger happening like Mm -hmm. more people are transforming into whatever this is going to be i don't want to say zombies but whatever these uh, figures are going to be. That's what they're slowly I think, starting to. Do. I think in the game they're called clickers. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I it's been so so long in this. I like it. They didn't come out and say it officially, but you yeah. kind of yeah that yeah. vibe. I think they're called clickers. Right. So at this point, you see Joel and Sarah are taken off, and they kind of get into like a deserted area. Yeah. And they're stopped by a soldier, mm-hmm. and the soldier kind of gets out, and you know he's got like, hands up where I can see him. Yeah. Salt rifle pointed. Yeah. Salt rifle pointed, and Joel Joel is in there, and he's like, "Hey, we're you know, we're not sick. We're not sick. We're it, not anything. It's just her ankles hurt." Yeah, and and he and the soldier for the Federal Disaster Response Agency or FEDRA uh, does radio it in. He's like, "Oh, I got two c- civilians. You know, one injured, but it's not sick. It's 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 her ankle." And he, you don't hear the other end of the speaker. You you just hear what he's saying into the the walkie talkie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Uh huh." And he just points, and, it, and it's basically like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. yeah. Which I knew the longer this took for him to say anything to yeah. him, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, he's going to pull, he's going to pull, try and pull the trigger on him. Yeah. So sure enough, he winds up killing Sarah mm-hmm. in this melee. And Joel winds up taking him out. The, obviously, Tommy comes in for the save as well, but yeah. unfortunately, Sarah's gone at this point. Yeah. And then it kind of does a time jump. Yep. And like I said, this, I didn't see it at first. But obviously, you knew something was going on here. Yeah. So 
they move very quickly. Like I said, this was about halfway in the episode, and the yeah. first episode was 85 minutes. Too. Yeah. So this is like a lot of action going on, which I really loved. I thought they really set the ground running for this. We now get to what looks like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And you see somebody emerge from the woods and go into this, you know, absolutely wasteland. Yeah. That's like... A Buildings are overgrown. Converted. Street, streets are torn up. Yeah. And you're seeing that this is just like something you, you see out of an uh, apocalypse movie. It's what The Walking Dead might look like if they get to 20 years later. Yeah. So They're not there yet. No, they're not there yet. But as you see, the young child is taken in by the the Fedra mm-hmm. authority. Yep. And you do see a creepy scenario going on because they don't know if that person's infected or not. Right. And we do at one point while they're walking through see a sign on the wall in this medical facility where it's basically like a guide to like if you get bit in this area, like this is how long it takes. And in the head neck area, I think it was like five to 15 minutes Mm -hmm. in the torso area. So from like below your neck down to your waist, it was like a couple of days. And then from your, like your waist down to your legs, like your feet, it was like a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's a, a weird scenario playing out here, but you do see the child gets killed and how they do it is creepy because they're basically saying, you know, we're just going to give you a vaccine. We're like, we're making sure you're safe. Yeah. After this, you can have as much food as you want. And sure enough, they wind up killing the kid. Mm-hmm. And you do see that the body does come to where they're burning them. Yeah. Which is creepy as yeah. fuck. But you do see that Joel at this stage is somebody that's throwing the bodies into the fire. So he's now working for Fedra. Mm-hmm. And it's a very reluctant job. Like, it's not something he's taken. It's not the prettiest job. Yeah. Obviously, that this is how he's getting by working for them in this new society that yeah. they're living in, which is, yeah. like I say, when the. Trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Well, yeah. I mean, well, that warning from the 60s has now come true. Yeah. And to see how society has crumbled mm-hmm. so fast mm-hmm. is absolutely astonishing. And you're seeing how Joel is. Sitting there trying to do it. You've seen other people are, you know, cannot handle doing what they're doing, and Joel is just like forcing himself to do it. Right. And obviously, when he gets done with his shift, he's looking for more work. So he's not necessarily employed, but he's more like an independent contractor. Yeah, and, he, and he's clearly looking to make some money just because he does his job for the day, and then he goes to the foreman, I guess you could say, whatever the dude's title is. You know, he gets his little notepad stamped and or whatever, and he gets the sheet handed to him, and then he asks, you know, what what's available tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And he goes, and he says, the guy says something, he goes, well, what's the higher paying job? And he goes, well, it's the one in the sewers. Yeah. And he goes, all right, sign me up for that. So yeah. he's clearly looking to make some money quick. Right. So during this time, too, he does have the idea that his brother is still out there. Right. And I believe that he has the inklings that he is in Wyoming. Yeah, that's what he's heard. Yeah. So he is trying to find a way to get out there. He needs a car battery, I believe. Yes. So during this, he does work with somebody by the name of Tess, mm-hmm. who is an interesting character in her own right, too. How they introduce her. Anna Torv is playing Tess. She's captured by yeah. by a resistance force that is standing up against Fedra. No, they're, they're not fans. Yeah, they're known as Fireflies. Mm-hmm. So they're sitting there trying to interrogate Tess about what's going on. Yep. And she winds up getting free because a distraction happens, so to mm-hmm. speak. So as she winds up escaping and catching back up with Joel because some soldiers are coming in to raid. Yeah, there's like this, this platoon of soldiers in armor and assault rifles like methodically making their way down the street. She gets out, 
and as soon as she gets out on the street, this whole fight kicks off between the fireflies and then the agents. Yeah, so it's it's due to the, an explosion during the battle here that she gets freed. Yeah. Otherwise, the, we I don't think she makes it out of here because probably not. No, because they're sitting there just trying to go like, okay, you're obviously trying to get this car battery. What are you doing with it? And obviously, she doesn't have to tell what's going on. Right. But she's caught in the crossfire, so she does wind up as getting out of this situation, which mm-hmm. is a very intense one. Even though Joel is working with some soldiers there and kind of trying to buy his way out yeah. too, at the same time, he's, he's realizing how long it's going to take him to get the do the way do it the way he's doing, and he's like, "I need a faster way." Right. So they wind up linking up after both deals have kind of gone sour, and they do make their way into a building where we do find out. There is a very special someone sitting inside a locked room. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, who does that wind up being? Uh, that is one Ellie. Yes, played by Bella Ramsey, who is being interrogated mm-hmm. and answering accordingly <laughs> as she's being interrogated. Love the attitude here. Well, because it's not her first time being interrogated. She's been here. Uh, what did she say? She's done this for like three days. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And they keep asking her basic questions. like The same questions in the same order in the same sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Which they don't explain why, but we do find out later in this show. Mm-hmm. But obviously she is in there going like, I need to get out of here. Like what you're doing here is not working. And obviously there's just the resistance there because the world is falling apart. So nobody's trusting anybody, nor should they No, even 20 years on. Right. So that's the big key point happening here. But as we see Joel and Tess are making their way through, they do wind up running into Marlene, Mm -hmm. who is the head of the fireflies. And she's played by Merle Dandridge. Mm -hmm. And she winds up basically saying, okay, if you're getting out of here, you've got to take, Ellie with you, mm-hmm. and it, they kind of work out a barter deal yeah. you know, to get supplies because they know there's something special about uh, Ellie. Yeah, so it's a weird scenario going on, but they're reluctant partners. Ellie is sitting here going like, "Okay, what the hell is going on?" Yeah, because everybody kind of runs into each other and, and has a weird connection happening. But the end of the day, Joel is now paired with Ellie, and they're trying to make the escape. Mm-hmm. As they try sneaking out, because somebody buys them some time, they, yep. you know, there's a there's an intricate plot to get out. Mm-hmm. They do get out, and sure enough, they run into the soldier that Joel was making deals with. Uh huh. And he is not feeling like making another deal. Yeah, well, because he, I think if I remember right during the episode, he said like he Joel basically wants him to let him go, and he's like, no, I'm risking my job, and I need this job, and this ain't worth it. Yeah. So they want the soldier winds up getting ready to arrest them, mm-hmm. but Ellie has a knife on her. <laughs> Why? Reasons. But you know what? Smart. Yeah. Because it's a good reason. As the soldier comes by, she stabs him right in the leg. Yeah, she does. Yep, and she does. She uh, twists it too, so that wound oh. is not closing. Like she knew what she was doing, and sure enough. The soldier is ready to shoot her. Mm-hmm. Joel has to go take him out. He's been here once before. He's not watching this happen again. Right. He winds up beating him to death. Yep. So it's a very intense scene playing out. Mm-hmm. But obviously now you've killed the soldier of Fedra. Uh, you are on borrowed time because once they find you, they're going to kill you. Yeah. Well, and especially they see a dead uh, agent. They're going to come looking. They're going to start looking. Yeah. Uh, and things are not good. Yeah. So they have to get going. Meanwhile, Tess figures out... Ellie's secret. Yep. And Pad, what is that secret? She was bitten or she was infected. But here's the thing. She starts panicking. Oh, my God, you're going to turn. You're going to turn. And and Ellie goes, no, I'm not going to turn. This happened three weeks ago. 
And if we all remember what I mentioned about the poster that was in the medical facility, uh, she was bitten in the arm, in her forearm, if I'm not mistaken, right. on, on the underside. Uh, if you're bitten in that area, it's a couple of days. Yeah. This, she said this happened th- three weeks ago. Right. So she might be the cure. She's got some sort of immunity. There's something going on here, so now they have to protect her at all costs. Mm-hmm. But now on the run, they have the soldiers chasing them. Yep. They're in a containment area of some sort. Yeah. And that's kind of how the show wraps up for this. Yeah. And it goes out playing to a Depeche Mode song. So <laughs> I love I love the music for this. I was like, man, they really nailed this. Yeah. But for 85 minutes. It was it, a lot. It was a lot. I don't think there was too much downtime. I would say maybe the intro in yeah. Texas. No. See, for me, that wasn't downtime. That was just kind of like in, uh, introing the characters and whatnot. The only little bit of downtime for me was after the time jump and there was the whole job thing with Joel. That, I, that, I can see that. that. For me, that was the only time where, like, and it wasn't necessarily like, I'm like, all right, what are we doing here? No, it was kind of like, all right, we're obviously you just had this, like, 15, 20 minute, whatever it was, extended action sequence. You need to have time for the audience to come down and go, okay, we can, we can relax now, you know, made it out of there, things are okay, you know. But for me, that was kind of like the only downtime because once we got past that whole sequence with the job and he finds out, okay, the, the one tomorrow pays more, that's when it picked up again. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, I, I guess for me it was when she went to the clocksmith. Yeah. I, I, I thought that maybe that was just a, a hair too long. Not super. See, that was, that was just, to me, that was that was a little bit, but that, that was just them setting up, and this is hindsight. Yeah. You know, me looking at, that was just them setting up for like, oh, we're going to introduce you to this character. We're going to get you really invested in this character only to kill her off in 20 minutes. Yeah, which, I mean, that point worked, but I know they wanted to try to establish him with the neighbors next door. I didn't really care. I was like, okay, there's something weird going on here too. But overall, strong performances. Yeah. I really think they established it out of the gate. I thought Ramsey and Pascal did phenomenal. Oh, I thought yeah. I thought they really elevated the the material. Uh, Gabriel Luna's character kind of interesting to see what he's going to be doing That'll moving be forward. Because I mean, the one thing is with these adaptations, it's for TV. Mm-hmm. We do know there's only a limited amount of games. Yep, there's so, only two. So where they want to go with storylines, you would think they would follow the video games, but you never know if they want to pull a curveball. Well, I mean, Neil Druckmann, the writer, is involved, so anything that they're going to change from them, he's going to be involved with, and I know he's going to be directing the next episode. Yeah, so obviously him being hands-on, fans can be breathing a lot easier for it. Yeah. But I thought they really did a solid job with everything. I'm definitely excited to see where they're going for next episode. Pad, final thoughts on this? Great episode. Phenomenal. One of the best ones I've seen in a while, and I'm super, super excited to see where this goes. Absolutely. So that being said, The Last of Us is going to be on Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on HBO Max. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the debut episode of The Last of Us? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale of Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Ma, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern, or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we finally received the trailer mm-hmm. from one of the most anticipated shows of 2023. Yes. Starring one Pedro Pascal, who mm-hmm. we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Dare I say he's got a very, very big year ahead of him. He's a busy dude. I would have to say so. 
And Pat, what show is that? Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Yes, the hit Star Wars spinoff is coming back to Disney Plus March 1st, and we are finally gifted a trailer mm-hmm. of what to expect. So as you know by now, we're going to give you our spoiler-free statement and then get into spoiler talk after the countdown. So that said, Pad, what did you think about The Mandalorian Season 3 trailer? Liked it. I uh, liked it a lot. You know, super excited to see where things go because it leaves a lot of questions, leaves a lot of things wondering where they're going to go. And there are a couple little Easter eggs in there for longtime Star Wars fans that kind of like, ooh, it's interesting to see that. And I'm interested to see some of those things play out. The saga of the last Mandalorian and his sidekick, Grogu, mm-hmm. has captivated fans all over the place. Whether it's pop culture audience, Star Wars, this has been a monster hit. This was the the franchise show of Disney Plus when it debuted. Grogu has been a f- uh, balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City for two years running now. Exactly. like He's won everybody over. And this show has definitely captured... An energy that I think a lot of Star Wars fans were missing. Yes. And I think that I know you're the Star Wars guru of yes. the 607 Podcast fam. So am I wrong in that statement? No. I mean, because while, while Clone Wars is great and it's amazing and you should absolutely go watch it, it didn't really take off until it hit like Netflix and then was on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. You know, it had its run. It was popular. It obviously, it ran for five seasons on Cartoon Network. You know, but but it was kind of like a niche thing. It was like you had to be a fan of Star Wars and a fan of the prequels to really like it. And then, it, like I said, it really took off, I think, once it hit Netflix and then it hit a wider audience, you know, and then it obviously took off even more once it hit Disney Plus. But it didn't hit the kind of levels The Mandalorian has hit where it's like everyone is watching Mandalorian. I've had people ask me about Mandalorian that I've that I've never even talked Star Wars with in my life. And I was on it. I'll be honest. There were some people I didn't know if they've ever seen Star Wars that have asked me stop and talked to me about the Mandalorian. Mm. So no, the, the Mandalorian has hit levels that I did not think possible anymore. No, I didn't think it was going to be possible either, but this captures the original. And I mean, episodes four, five and six yes. feel. Yes. This is what one pop culture audience is over. It has that vibe to it. Just with some modern technology and less, uh, uh, screen cuts. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> go go watch A New Hope and, and pay attention to the scene wipes. There's a lot of them. Oh, man. <laughs> now that you bring that up, yeah. You don't notice it until somebody says something. Right. And now you've tarnished it forever. Uh-huh. Thanks, Pat. Thanks. Appreciate it. Live long and prosper forever. Uh, that said, <laughs> this show really captured everybody's attention. It really hit the mark that it needed to, and especially for Disney Plus to put that streaming service on the map. Yeah. Every movie that's done so far has more or less been a home run, I would say. Yeah. You've had moments where you saw characters such as Boba Fett return. Yep. They fixed the egregiousness of Return of the Jedi. We saw Luke, or Luke Skywalker come back, Mark Luke, Hamill. Mark Hamill showed up as Luke Skywalker. God damn. Yeah. Which I realize it's it's like a CGI face on him, but no, that was Mark Hamill playing him. Right. So the hype has been here. The show has delivered on it. This is Dave Filoni all day. And, and John Favreau. And John Favreau. So when you have those powerhouses working on a project, you know it's going to deliver. I thought what we saw with this trailer, I thought we have definitely still have the magic going. Yeah. I didn't think anything looked super crazy. Uh, there was a city in there that definitely we'll talk about as the trailer rolls on that I uh-huh. thought uh, is a little more Star Wars in-depth than I think most fans realize. Uh-huh. And I think once we get into that. There's two. Yeah, there's two cities. Yeah. there's The one jumped out to me. The second one you knew, and I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. But. When you saw little Easter eggs like this, I think they're setting up for a lot. Obviously, we know the Ahsoka show is coming at some yes. point. 
Some whether, point this year, I think. Yeah, whether this ties into that, which I think would be a smart move, yeah. is anybody's guess. We don't know anything about Boba Fett Season 2. I don't believe that that's on the schedule as of now. Not that I've heard of, no. No, but it's not to say it couldn't fly out of somewhere to come back. Yeah. But for what they wanted to do, it captured the magic. It got fans talking. The countdown is now on to March 1st. I think fans have really got that date circled. And there's a lot to be excited about coming from this because the last we saw The Mandalorian in an interesting place in the galaxy mm-hmm. far, far away. So now coming into this episode or this tra- season, I think there's a lot of expectations that are yeah. going to be met from what we saw from the trailer. Yeah. That said, three, two, one, Pad, talk to me. This this trailer was awesome. You know, a lot of a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of interesting stuff thrown in there. What's wild to me though is the big cliffhanger that was at the end of season two. The fact that it's already resolved and was resolved in a couple episodes of the Book of Boba Fett is wild to me. I didn't even consider that until somebody pointed it out. Uh, not in a, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just it's kind of crazy that like the big cliffhanger. Oh my god, what's going to happen? So if somebody doesn't in the in the future doesn't go and watch Book of Boba Fett, they're going to wonder what the fuck happened. Yeah. When this when this they get to season three, uh, but regardless, super excited. I'm super excited with some of the places they're going to go. Just because for Clone Wars fans, it's a certain place we're going to go to. If you're watching the trailer, it's we're, we're going to see the results of what happened uh, at, at the end of Clone Wars season yeah five. I want to say it was. Uh, so that's gonna be a little wild to see, and then th- to see Coruscant again. Yeah, know? that was what caught me. Holy shit, that's that's gonna be odd because I love me some post Return of the Jedi uh, Coruscant. I haven't seen enough of it. Yeah, that was the one that caught my eye. I was like, oh, we're going here. Yeah. Between that and a flashback sequence, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. something is gonna happen this season that I think is gonna really melt the internet for a day. Cause Probably because nothing ever breaks it for long. Grogu will say his first words. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Yeah, that that could happen. You can't doubt that. I mean, he's 50 years old. At some point, he's got to say something. Yeah. But as the trailer starts out, you have the Mandalorian doing the monologue, and he goes, our people are scattered. And you do see a shot of a group of Mandalorians mm-hmm. that are kind of all looking around at each other. And who emerges after saying, who are we? What do we stand for? Then Pedro Pascal's mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. Uh-huh. And we do see a shot of him flying in his spaceship into hyperspeed, and basically kind of breaking down about the Mandalorian way. Yeah, it looks like he's sleeping, too. Uh, he, he, but he's basically saying, you know, oh, being a Mandalorian's not easy. You, you know, you you got to know how to navigate the galaxy. Yeah, so it's not all about fighting. We do see a shot of Grogu in his own little compartment on this ship. Yep. And then you see somehow Grogu got to the front seat. Yeah. Reasons. Reasons. He's, but, he's resourceful. But it works. So he's now flying the ship because it does look like the Mandalorian fell asleep. Looks like he's napping. Yeah, so... Ship's on autopilot. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, so it's kind of a little funny scene going on here. And then you see the ship land in a a city that we know kind of well, Pat. And what city is that? It looks like it could be the planet Navarro that we've seen first two seasons of Mandalorian, I want to say. But it looks a little too nice to be Navarro, although they've been making improvements. Well, you have to think that, obviously, Grief Karga has made an impact there because we do see a shot of the one and only Carl Weathers yep. reprising his role and greeting Mando as he lands in the city. Mm-hmm. So there's that to look forward to. Then they go to a quick shot of the Mandalorian flying in what appears to be like a snowstorm slash rain rainstorm yeah there's something going on because you see the glass is starting to break in a spaceship yeah there's only one place i can uh, with uh, unless it's a new planet there's only one place i can think of that is that stormy that they he could be going to hoth no that's snow 
Uh, no, if it's a rainstorm, there's only one planet I can think of he's going to that's that goddamn stormy, Camino. Ooh. Which has got some uh, Mandalorian ties, specifically Django Fett. I mean... Just saying. That's a great possibility. I wasn't even thinking that, Pad. But you could definitely see that. And then they get a shot to, dare I say, is it another familiar face? Yeah, it's the uh, Armorer, I think is what the character's name is. I'll I'll be honest, I'm blanking on the name. But it's the Armorer from the first two seasons. Uh, Looks like uh, making something again. Yeah, making something for Mando because now he's saying, I'm going to Mandalore. Mm -hmm. You see Grogu kind of give him a weird look like, why? And the reason being, Pad? Yeah, uh, he's going there so he can be forgiven for his transgressions, uh, a.k.a. taking his helmet off. Yeah. So... Interesting storyline that's going to play out here. So, and this is where the one scene that should stick out for Clone Wars fans, at least this is my guess, because while he says, so that I may be forgiven for my transgressions, there's an aerial shot of a city that looks absolutely destroyed. And mm. there's a shell of, there looks like there well, used to be a protective shell around that city. Uh, my guess is this is Sundari, which was the main city of Mandalore during the Clone Wars, which we saw getting ransacked by uh, ransacked at the end of season five of the Clone Wars. That's the shot where Obi Wan's coming out. He's got the he's got the Maul uh, Death Trooper armor on, and it's just absolutely destroyed. Uh, so this looks like it's Sundari, which, like I said, if you uh, watch Clone Wars, which you absolutely should, looks like uh, we might be seeing the end results of what happened after that battle. Yeah. So that could be a wild scenario to play out. I think that's where they're going with this, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, because that was, that was the main city on Mandalore where Duchess Satine, you know, uh, uh, was, you know, who was the head of the, the group of people there lived. Yeah, so definitely something to keep an eye out for as you're going on in Clone Wars. Or the Clone Saga, you're definitely going to want to go check out. Uh-huh. You know, obviously, in the meantime, get a little background on it. But then, obviously, we see Mando is taking on. Pelimato is wishing him well. Yeah, getting a little droid friend to help with navigating. Yep, and you hear, may the force be with you. Uh-huh. So, obviously, in Mandalorian, says, this is the way. Yep. Very cool seeing kind of a, you know, a little tip of the cap to yeah. both. You know, obviously, yeah. the Rebel Alliance is making their presence felt. Yep. And, obviously, Mando is still keeping in his Mandalorian ways because that is the way. Mm-hmm. So, then we get a shot of... It's like either a space battle is going on or something. Mando is flying away, and I couldn't tell, honestly, if this was like a celebration or if this is like uh, a battle happening, but it kind of looks like fireworks. It looks like a celebration. My guess is it could be like the anniversary of when the uh, Emperor fell. It could be. That type of thing, because from what I remember from the old uh canon the the eu that got turned into a holiday of sorts okay you know kind of kind of like a like a new year's or type of thing uh so that, like it got celebrated every year type of thing so th- that could be a case here where it, it's like the anniversary of when the, when the emperor fell so they're f- shooting off fireworks i was gonna say i could definitely see him crash on a party just yeah he, he wasn't invited well i'm just gonna kick in the door you're not gonna keep me out i'm the mandalorian yeah so then we get another shot of him flying in space and then there's a city Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, what is this city? This is Coruscant, and this is 110% Coruscant. I know there was some confusion when Force Awakens came out and everyone thought Coruscant got destroyed. It didn't. That's not Coruscant. This is 110% Coruscant. And how do we know? Uh, well, one, the, just the, the way the buildings are shaped and look and kind of the lights and everything, but also the crisscrossing lanes of traffic of the, the flying cars yes. flying across. This is 110% Coruscant. We're seeing Coruscant post-Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so this is wild. Like, I saw this, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, we're here. Mm-hmm. Let's go. 
And you hear the voice of somebody saying there's something dangerous happening. Yeah. And that's Captain Karsten Teva. Mm-hmm. We've seen in the first two seasons uh, yeah. with uh, that was kind of the Rebel Alliance group that would always seemingly show up when uh, Mandalorian was up to something. Yeah. So kind of interesting to see how that, that shapes up. And basically kind of giving a warning to Mando, like, you know, when this happens, you're not going to be ready for what's going to happen. Yep. You're going to be too late. Yep. And it looks like you see the Mandalorian taking a Mandalorian helmet out of the sand. So, like, there's been a battle. So it kind of ties back to him going to the home planet that's destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And he's finding basically a skeleton left over. This looks like, and I'll be honest, it looks like a Death Watch helmet, which, again, Clone Wars. Go watch it. But this looks like it could be the remnants of one of Maul... Maul's uh, Death Watch uh, helmets. Okay. You know, which which were Mandalorian helmets, so it's got that same look, but it was like with the Maul red and black tattooed look on it, mm-hmm. and, it and it had the horns sticking out. I want to note, we can't see the top of this helmet where the horns would be, and, and obviously because it's kind of like this desert planet, and it's kind of a wasteland, obviously the colors have faded because it's been, God knows how many years at this point, decades. Yeah. You know, so obviously the color has faded, but I swear, like, if that camera panned up a little bit, we might see the horns from the helmet. So this could be a remnant from Darth Maul's Death Watch. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, hell of a callback, too. There's a lot of possibilities. And Filoni's involved in the show. There's a possibility. Yeah, exactly. So then we get a shot of Grogu, and then there's a big shot that I think set the internet a little ablaze. Uh huh. Pad, what is that shot? Uh, that is one, two, three, four Jedi uh, with two green, two blue lightsabers uh, facing down a door that is getting cut open, and it looks like the Jedi Temple, so I've lost count at this point. It looks like we're seeing Order 66 again. Yeah. So How many times are you going to emotionally scar me, Lucasfilm? I, that's the only question I have because I think this ties in with Grogu of some sort. It's probably him uh, unlocking more of his memories. Yeah, because he's still a mysterious character in the show, even though we've now three seasons in. Well, three seasons in, and all we know is that he's 50 years old, and he was at the Jedi Temple of the time of Order 66. Yes, and he doesn't want to hang out with Luke because Luke wanted to make him forget everything, and he didn't want to do that. Yep. So... Who knows if this is going to tie into maybe we're going to see a possible connection to another Jedi. Yeah, maybe. I mean, anything's kind of fair game. And then we see a nice aerial shot Yeah. of some certain fighters, uh, TIE fighters. There, there, there's some form of TIE fighters, yeah. It's not the uh, TIE fighter. There's TIE fighters, TIE bombers, TIE this, TIE that. It's a TIE something. Okay. But still, we see this great flying battle sequence going on. You see Mandalorian's just telling Grogu, hang on, kid. Yeah, and, he, and he, he's not using the Naboo Starfighter he got. He's using one of the uh, ships we saw. We saw Bo-Katan and them using mm-hmm. from uh, previous seasons. It's also the ships we saw Death Watch using in Clone Wars. So it, it's it's an interesting, I'm like, what happened to his Starfighter? Is it destroyed? Is it just what he's using at the time? I don't know. Katie Sackhoff coming back on the show. I'm all in. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm all in for that. So definitely have the thing that ties into it. And then we kind of see Mandalorian going to a repair shop. Repair shop or a bar? We're not exactly sure. It's a droid bar. Yeah. So not exactly sure how that works out. But, hey, it's Star Wars. You know, I saw R2 there for a minute. Yeah. So there is an astromech there, which looks about the same. It's about the, it's the same size and shape and uh, design as R2, but it looks like it's green. Yeah. So... Interesting what they're going to play there. I think we'll see an Easter egg of some sort. I'm looking at one right now. There's a freaking battle droid in there. Really? From from uh, Phantom Menace. From oh, There's battle droids in there. Yeah. And the one looks like it's operational. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. That's never good. Oh, boy. That's never good. But that should be an awesome scene, though, when that all plays out. Then we kind of see 
Some Mandalorians jumping out of a plane. Yeah, because it looks like uh, if this if this is Navar- or Navarro, uh, it looks like it's getting ransacked again. Yeah, so Damn I don't it. I don't know what to think of this per se. If this is Bo-Katan's army, I don't. Well, I think they're coming to help. Maybe coming to help. You, we're not exactly sure what's going on because, like I say, it's really up in the air what is happening here. But as we're seeing, somebody's coming there to attack, yeah. or at least come to help because you do see there's a lot of characters in the scene. So there's yeah. a big fight that's going to happen here. Yeah, and then it goes into the final act of the trailer where Grogu is flying around in his little carriage. And then there is a character that jumps in front of him coming out of this cave. Mm-hmm. And I am not sure what to think of I this. I don't know who this is. Yeah, because, I mean, I got a still shot set up. Yeah. It does not look familiar it to me. It doesn't look like a Wookiee. That's, uh, that's all I know. Yeah, because I think everybody was screaming that they thought it was. But I'm like, no, it doesn't no, look like it. not a Wookiee. Because it looks like he has four eyes, and he definitely has some weaponry that he wants to go inflict on Grogu. Could be another version of the thing that attacked Luke that got its arm chopped off. Could be. At, uh, the, what is it, the cantina? Yeah. But we do see that creature is disposed of very quickly because Grogu f- throws him out telekinetically from the cave, and you just see him coming out with his hands sticking out, saying this is the way. Well, the other thing, too, we get right before that is maybe a Babu Frick appearance uh, from Rise of Skywalker because the, the, the you see two other uh, Anzellans is what they're called, uh, A-N-Z-E-L-L-A-N. Uh, the, oh, they're there. Yeah. It, it, it looks like Babu Frick. Could it be Babu Frick? Hey, hey, hey! I don't know, maybe. Babu Frick was like the best thing from Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that was a blink and miss it because I definitely yeah. skimmed that. But that's how the trailer ends. So, yeah. Pad, I mean, final thoughts on this trailer? Is it March 1st yet? This yeah. this trailer looks awesome. I mean, between, you know, going to, to Mandalore and seeing, possibly seeing the city from Mandalore again, you know, to seeing Coruscant post-Return of the Jedi, there's a lot that's going to happen in this season that I'm super excited for, and March 1st can't come soon enough. I think they played this very well. I really think they didn't give away a lot. They gave no. away enough Easter eggs to really lock in fans. But I don't think they tipped their hand just yet of no. what's going on, which I like. Because between Coruscant and the Mandalorian planet, there's two big storylines that are going to shape up here. And obviously we know Mandalorian's seasons usually go about, what, nine episodes, give take? Give or take, yeah. So you're not going to have like a Daredevil drawn out 18 episodes split in half. They're going to be moving pretty fast here. And obviously with the talent behind this show, it looks to continue that success. I can't see this going completely crazy and going into a different direction. The only thing that I think might be a small curveball is with the Jedi Council yeah. and that, that photo. Because I think I could see this being an introduction episode for Ahsoka mm-hmm. could be. at some point, which is not a bad thing. I want to stress say, It wouldn't surprise me if we see Ahsoka. But I'm just thinking of, okay, what they have coming out this year. And they have a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do. But Ahsoka is the one I think everybody's most waiting for after Mando. Yeah, especially considering it's going to tie up some loose ends from Rebels. Yeah, so a lot of people are excited to check that out. So I wouldn't doubt that we have one episode dedicated to that. But listen, they did the same thing for Boba Fett and it worked out fine. I don't care what anybody says. I liked the Boba Fett show. (laughs) It was good. You're not going to tell me otherwise. It was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. But for what we're seeing from Mandalorian Season 3, I'm excited about. So March 1st, let's go. That said, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. 
What is your thoughts of the Mandalorian trailer season three? What did you like? What didn't you like? And what Easter eggs stood out to you that we didn't talk about? Or do you want to do a deeper dive about it? We don't mind discussing Star Wars. Pat is down 24-7 to talk Star Wars with you. So hit him up on Twitter at Meslin. Hit him up on odphpodcast.com. He'll definitely get the message. He will definitely interact with everybody and everybody. And so will I. But like I say, he is the Star Wars go-to amongst six or seven podcasts. So you want to talk that talk? We're here for it. That said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my God, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Ooh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know. Murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to catch up on the latest episode of the Star Wars spinoff, mm-hmm. The Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we talked about episodes one and two last week. Episode three had a lot of people wondering what was going on, and there was some hype amongst the Star Wars community. <laughs> yeah, there was. Pad, would you like to explain? Uh, yeah, so there was a certain character returning that we had not seen from since 2005. Well, technically 2005. Sooner, if we count the Clone Wars animated series. Uh, but in terms of the, the chronological timeline, we hadn't seen anything from since 2005. Uh, and that would be the one, the only, Commander Cody. Was adrenaline in his soul? Something, something, Cody Rhodes. It's entirely possible. He 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 partnered alongside Obi Wan, so he certainly needed a lot of adrenaline. Yes. So this one had fans buzzing, and we had a lot of people asking us about covering this show again for the the podcast. So we're like, hey, why not? And I'm definitely intrigued by what was going on here because, mm-hmm. like I say, Pat is more of a guru than I am of the Star Wars mythos and yeah. all the little nooks and crannies, so to speak. So that said, we're going to talk about episode three entitled The Solidarity Clone. Mm-hmm. So you know the deal by now. Spoiler free statement followed up by the countdown and then spoiler talk. So that said, Pat, give me your spoiler free statement on episode three. Great episode. Loved everything about it. And I'm super happy to see Commander Cody again because it's been a while since we've seen him. Now I realize he, eh, he was just in Clone Wars, but we don't know what happened to him after Clone Wars. You know, because he, he's mysteriously absent in Rebels. He's not in Rebels, you know, so it's interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I definitely thought this was a good episode. Uh, it took me a little while to get into because I was a little confused at some points. Yeah. But, but yeah. seeing how this is playing out, obviously you're seeing the redemption arc getting played uh, up a little bit. Or yeah. at least the seeds getting planted. Seeds are getting planted. Yeah, for a you know a character that I think made a little bit of an impact. And you can kind of see this in the, some of the trailers. So I don't think that that was a spoiler by any means. No. But that said, I thought it was a solid episode. And definitely, I'm more intrigued to check out this week's as it drops today mm-hmm. as we record. Yeah. So that said, Pad, three, two, one, talk to me. Episode was really good. I will admit, even I got a little confused at some points just because I didn't realize that they were on a new planet, you know, new to the mythos, you know. But once they got, I got familiarized, it hit the ground running for me, and it was a fantastic episode. I need somebody to do a video montage on YouTube with Downstate's Kingdom <laughs> and, and Commander Cody running through here. 
I thought it was solid. Like, I, yeah. you know, the thing about it is when you start seeing all the Mandalorian slash Stormtrooper clones, yeah. it does get a little confusing. Like, if you're coming in not knowing 100% about the mythos like I am. Right. Like I say, I know about the movies and some of the spinoffs, but I'm not super in-depth about right. the animated shows. Well, what is it? I know in the mythos, at the turn of the Empire, which we're still fairly close, I would say, to when Revenge of the Sith took place. We're not super far removed. They were still using the clones because they had them. They were still around, and it was easy. Eventually, there will come a switch just because, well, they're building a certain Death Star that's a little costly, and they need to cut some costs. So they go from using the clones to using kind of general rank-and-file everyday folks mm-hmm. because it's just it's cheaper to do than just to pay for clones. Right. You know, so for right now, they're still clones. Eventually, there will be that turnover. Depending on how long the show goes, I think it'll be real interesting to start seeing some of that turnover where you still hear some of uh, D. Bradley Baker voicing the clones, but occasionally it's like some average Joes and average Janes. Mm-hmm. So this episode kicks off where Commander Cody is getting his latest mission. Mm-hmm. And the people assigning him to him are the Empire. Yep. And they're really testing his loyalty. Yeah. I thought it was kind of an odd way to start the episode. Yeah, especially since, you know, he was, well, at least on screen, one of the first ones we saw, you know, get the Order 66 message. And he immediately had them fire on Obi-Wan. Yeah. Uh, on Utapau, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, they probably think he's still they think he's dead you know hadn't heard from him in a while you know so the fact that they're kind of questioning his loyalty is interesting to say the least Mm -hmm. and he is not given a mission by himself because the empire soldiers kind of have questions about where he truly lies Mm -hmm. and he's paired with somebody and this is the first time i saw this character yeah and i admit i had this weird gi joe connection kind of with snake eyes and storm shadow it was a weird yeah, like yeah. they're they're very similar in their approaches but very different in their methods. And this is a character known as Crosshair mm-hmm. who really looked like he was a Commander Cody clone. Well, they're all clones. But right, yes. but but more so like the eviler version. Yeah. If I can say that. Yeah, well he was he was a part of the bad batch. You know, he was there as the name suggests, he was their sniper. He was yeah. the, he was their sharpshooter. You know, and and whereas the rest of the Bad Batch kind of saw through the lies of the Sith, you know, to turn a phrase, you know, he he didn't. He was all kind of like, hey, listen, good soldier follows orders. You know, I'm I'm sticking with the Empire. Yeah. So they get assigned to go to the planet Desix, which is a new uh, planet. Yeah, because reasons. Yeah. Like they say, they really didn't go too much of the background for it. The only- There's really not a lot of separatist planet we know of. I mean, we know of Serena, which is Dooku's planet. You know, there's been a couple shown in Clone Wars, but they were never really named. It's always it's always just been, hey, the separatists are here and because they're here, it's aligned with the separatists, but the, the general population doesn't agree with them. Yeah. You know, we've never really seen a ton of separatists planets that like, hey, we're rah, rah, waving the flag of the separatist cause. Yeah. So it was kind of like a quick thing. Like, here you go, because we have somebody there we want you to go get. Yep. And that is the Imperial governor mm-hmm. that was in charge. Rotten is his name. Yes. Who has been taken down. And he's uh, being held captive. Yes. So they send them in on this very stealth rescue mission. And I thought they played this very well uh-huh. because they played the strengths. You can tell that these two don't like each other, but they're professionals. Yes. Like, and that's what I really liked about the dynamic between them. Because mm-hmm. you know, like, 
Cody was just sitting there just going like, I'm going to wind up shooting this guy. Oh, yeah. I like I cannot stand him. He's, he's dealt with his type. Yeah, and Crosshair is just like, let's get down to business. I don't think we need to be making a lot of you know, peaceful negotiations. Let's no. get in, let's get out. No, and he shows off his skill during the episode. Yes, because as they wind up going into the governor's mansion or castle. Or, yeah, it's like a castle. Yeah, more or less like a castle. Yeah. They wind up taking out the snipers that are on the roof. Yeah. They wind up shooting at the tank, and there's a very cool sequence yeah. where Crosshair is firing at a droid on top of a tank. Jesus Christ, yeah. and it, Well, and at one point, he shoots down the barrel of the tank, yeah, blowing up and killing all of the people inside the tank. Like, I'm watching this thing going, the fuck is he trying to do? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they cut to the, there's a shot of the, of the crosshairs, no pun intended, of the sniper he's using, and it's pointed down the barrel of this tank, and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to do this? Yeah. Okay. I thought they really did a good job establishing him. Well, and especially there's the one sequence where it's him and Cody are in the stairwell of, of the castle. And they're like, oh, we can't get up there. Like, there's these guys up at the top. He's like, oh, don't worry. I got this. And he ricochets the shot up the stairwell. Yeah. And takes out the dude at the top. And I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah, that was a cool sequence. He's throwing his mirrors against the wall to, yeah. get, to get the reflection. Like, it was very bullseye-esque. Yeah. So, given a little Daredevil vibe, just not as super crazy. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. But I thought they did a good job about establishing them getting up there to go get the governor. Mm -hmm. And I thought that you could definitely see during this, Cody was starting to have a little second thoughts. Yeah, let's say the uh, inhibitor chip I don't think is necessarily working anymore. So, he's it's back to the Commander Cody we knew from Clone Wars. Right. So you can definitely see he is kind of thinking, okay, are we really doing this for the right reasons? Yeah, he's not on board. He's definitely not on board. So when they finally work their way through the castle, and like I say, they've spent about a good 10 minutes about destroying droids and and working their way up. They finally get there, and they go confront the governor that's in charge now, Mm -hmm. Tawani Ames. Yes. And they're basically saying, okay, if you want this, you know, governor back well guess what we're out of your jurisdiction now yep because this is something we're not willing to work with you about this mm-hmm. and they kind of just saying you know, about how they are basically saying we're done with the empire like yeah. we want nothing to do with you and we're taking our city or planet back well and they know they can't trust the empire because when it came to the end of the clone wars you know the republic didn't exactly give them a choice it was like hey surrender or else yeah and this is how the Republic rolls. So, I mean, it's it's not out of well, the Empire now. but yeah. yeah, the Empire. But, I mean, obviously, the early stages, you knew what they were trying to do. So, while this is going on, you're seeing, obviously, Groton is sitting there screaming, kill her. Kill her. Kill her. We're not Co- dealing with this. And Cody's like, no, we're going to talk this out. Yeah, and Cody is trying to be the voice of reason, which is kind of odd to see him do. He was paired with the negotiator, Obi-Wan. Yeah. So, he's saying, okay... Like, let's talk this through. Let's do this. And then while he's, like, almost cut the deal mm-hmm. to do this. So everything left but signing on the dotted line. Yeah, Crosshair is just like, fuck this. Yeah, bang. And kills Ames. And you just see Cody looking like, what did you just do? Uh-huh. And Crosshair gives the look like, I'm just following orders. Good soldiers follow orders. Yeah. So you see Cody is now going, okay, what the hell are we doing is, here? Is, is what we're doing really for the good of the galaxy? Yeah, because now the Empire or the Republic has now taken over Dessex. Yeah, the Empire, yeah. 
So now Gron's back in power, and it's basically he's he's now doing the thing he saw, and it's it's especially powerful with this episode because there was an episode in season the end of, towards the end of season one where uh, the Twilight planet Ryloth got uh, taken over by the uh, the uh, separatists, mm-hmm. and Cody's group was one of the ones on the ground trying to liberate Ryloth, and he saw what happened on these planets throughout the Clone Wars. Right. You know, so he's now gone from, hey, we're trying to liberate and free these people from the oppression of the Separatists and just give them their freedom to we're doing what I saw the Separatists do. Yeah. And we're now doing what I fought against, and I'm not okay with this. Yeah. So this is how the story really winds up. Cody is just in there with a lot of regret. Yeah. And kind of saying. And I don't know if I want to be a part of this. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to be my jam. I think I gotta really sit back and rethink things. Yeah. Which if this leads me to a crosshair versus Cody battle, <laughs> I'm all in for this. Me too. I think that this is where you need to set up. I think there's some other certain characters that can bail him out and give him some help. Uh, hello, Captain Rex. Yeah, that's true. Rex we, is still alive. We haven't. Seen Rex any- makes it all the way to Return of the Jedi. Yeah, we haven't seen Spoiler anything with alert. Rex. Yeah, we haven't seen anything with Rex lately. So no, we and we do know he shows up later in Rebels, which is uh, after this takes place. Yeah. So. I mean, all bets are kind of off, but I think overall they did a very solid job. I mean, final thoughts on this episode, Pat? Fun episode, uh, some awesome action sequences with with, uh, Crosshair. Super happy to see Cody again. Interested to see where things go from here with him. Yeah, no, I thought it was a solid episode. Like I said, a lot of action going on, too. I thought they really established Crosshair. Yeah. That's the first time I saw him, and I'm like, okay, I could definitely see the Storm Shadow to Commander Cody's Snake Eyes. Like, you just see they're very similar, but very different means. And they're you can tell that they're setting up for a battle between them at some point. Right. Which, Cody is probably going to win, but I'm, probably. Okay, I'm okay with this. Because I think it's going to be a very solid sequence of events. And I think that you're giving Cody some more character than we've seen mm-hmm. most of the clones so far. I mean, just in my little vantage of yeah. watching here. No, yeah, you're right. You know, like I say, a lot of them... I don't want to say it's like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one thing. Cody in Clone Wars was very much a by-the-book type, you know, get things done to the letter, how it should be done. And and his counterpart, Captain Rex, who was partnered with Anakin, was kind of in the same vein of Anakin. Like, hey, we need to get this done, but how we get there is not necessarily, you know, set in stone. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting to see them kind of see Cody grow out of his shell. Yeah. But I'm excited to see where they're going forward with it because obviously I think the rest of the uh, Bad Batch are coming back next week. Yes. Or this week, I should say. Came back this week. But in the meantime, though, we have an episode to definitely discuss a little further. So if you want to watch more Bad Batch, Disney Plus, every Wednesday, new episode drops. Yes. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the Solidarity Clone? Episode three of season two of the Bad Batch. Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is we got a cinematic trailer for the upcoming Hogwarts Legacy game, uh, which is coming out on February 10th. And I got to say, the trailer looks really good. Didn't give a whole lot away. Just kind of some mystery and some intrigue. Uh, if you pay attention, there's some interesting lines dropped. Notably, there's a Weasley ancestor who's apparently a professor. 
didn't know that. Yeah, that was crazy. That was wild. Uh, but listen, it's a cinematic trailer. It's supposed to look sexy. It did. Uh, gameplay, from what I've seen, looks awesome. Super excited to play this. It's been a while since I played a, a Harry Potter console game. Probably since Half-Blood Prince in 2006. Because I didn't play any of the Deathly Hollow ones. Because I didn't have any interest to. Because uh, they turned them into first-person shooters, essentially. Really? Yeah, they did. Well, third-person. It was essentially a third-person shooter. Yeah, it was It was weird. Yeah, I was going to say, that's really weird. Yeah. Um. So I haven't played a, a Hogwarts, Harry Potter, you know, game, console game since 2006. So it's been a while. Uh, but I'm super excited for this. And I can't wait for this to come out on February 10th. I uh, got another trailer to talk about uh, this for an upcoming show that we are big fans of. Yes. Uh, which drops on March 14th on the CW. Se- uh, season three of Superman and Lois. Yes, let's freaking go. Oh, my God. This looks awesome. Yeah, so Elizabeth Tolick, Tyler Hoekman. Yep. Reprising their roles. Uh, you know, we really weren't sure what we were going to expect. Obviously, there's a lot of interest going on here with yeah. the CW shows. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. the Flash is on the final run. Yep. You have Superman and Lois returning. Uh, you have something called Gotham Knights. I'm just leaving that one alone. I want to have good, positive thoughts. What's going to be worse? Enter the game. It's a contest. Oh, man. It's a I, contest. I, I'm trying to think like how this is all going to play out because I'm going to watch the first episode. I've already committed. I'm going to watch the first episode. Mm-hmm. If I have to rip it apart, I'm going to rip it apart. I'm not trying to, Yeah. but we have to keep this in mind. But the one thing that we had from this trailer that jumped out, obviously Jordan Alsace is not part of the show anymore. Yep. Michael Bishop is now playing the role of Jonathan Kent. Which I gotta say, kudos to the casting department on casting him because holy shit, he looks like Tyler Hoechlin's kid. Yeah, no, he he lo- looks more like Tyler Hoechlin than Jordan Elsass did. Yeah, and we're big Jordan Elsass fans oh, here. We are. So, yeah. So so to see him step in that role, yeah, like you say, he looked really like really so, related like the to jaw, Tyler. The Hoechlin. jawline is scarily similar. It was crazy. But the only thing that we got from this trailer is <laughs> Lois. Lois might be pregnant. Might be pregnant. Question mark. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And we did get a lot of shots of Metropolis. Noticeably, the Daily Planet also getting destroyed. And the globe on top of said Daily Planet looking like it's about to drop on Lois's head. Yeah. So those are two big moments. Like I said, I actually tell Pad, like, who was pregnant? Like, when I heard that line, I'm like, wait, 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 what? Yeah, for a 30-second trailer, there was a lot. There was a lot going on. I mean, still the same great action. Yeah. A lot of the familiar faces you saw. I mean, Wooly Parks is back at John Henry Irons. Yep. Taylor Buck is back as Natalie Irons. Yep. They're going to have a bigger role in this season, which I'm all here for. And we do know that Inter- Intergang is supposed to be the head bad guys of yep. this. For so, this season, yep. This is going to be something I'm super excited to see what they do here. Hell yeah. So, I mean, this show has been a hit from top to bottom. If you haven't watched it for whatever reason and you're new to the ODPH, we are very big fans of this. We cover every episode. And I scream this at the top of my lungs, and I think Pat can reiterate this too. Do yourself a favor. If you are a Superman fan, watch this show. For all the interpretations that we have seen over recent years, this is the one that nails it. Yes. This is the one that gets it, that really makes you believe in truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And if you go through this season, go through the first season, there's only been, I think, in the two seasons, a few filler episodes. Yeah. Uh, first two seasons available on HBO Max. Yes. And it's well worth the deep dive. You got time. And seriously, do yourselves a favor. I can't scream it enough. I'm excited to see where we go. 
We haven't heard anything about season four yet. I know that some people have already asked. Well, I, I would imagine we haven't heard anything officially about season four, but I would imagine the fact that like we talked about last week with Greg Berlanti re-upping with Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, to produce for television and streaming. I think it's a safe bet that this show comes back for season four. I would say, too. If not here, I would say it would go to HBO Max. Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. I think there's a lot of people that are working in the higher-ups that are very happy with the show. The ratings have been good. Yeah, from what I, rem- rem- what I remember hearing, David Zlaslav is a big fan of the show. Yeah. Which, that's a pretty safe uh, thing to keep your show going around. Exactly. So I think this show has a lot riding on it, and it's going to be a separate show from the Arrowverse. Right. We don't have to worry about anything with that. I know they're not going to have anything connected with Gotham Knights. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I Just the initial trailer... Is it fair to say that, in our opinions, it's worse than the DC Titans trailer for season yes, one? Yes, 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 it is. Yeah, yes, it is. And I mean, maybe it'll be misleading. I like I said, I'm gonna. I've committed to watch the first episode. The only thing I'm more disappointed than that is what I found out this week about the Suicide Squad kill of Justice League. Mm. What's that? Uh, it's a. Ga- it's going to be a games as a service game. It's going to be kind of in the same vein as the Marvel Avengers game, where where it's like a battle pass and a marketplace and everything else. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So I went from oh I'm going to buy it too. Yeah, that's a hard pass. No, nah, I'm I'm still in on it. If if nothing for nothing else, Kevin Conroy's last. I'll watch the, I'll watch the YouTube videos of the other cutscenes. No, nah, I mean I'm in. I still play Marvel's Avengers. I know we're getting a little sidetracked. I still play it though. It just came out with Winter Soldier. I mean two years later still, but you know still giving me something to do when I'm not actually doing reviews. Enough said. Uh, switching over to some movie news, uh, we found out that uh, there's a Rainbow Six movie coming. Uh, for, of course, it's based off the video game, and there's I think there's also a book series yeah. of the same name from Tom Clancy. Uh, and there's a certain dude named Michael B. Jordan who's going to be starring in the movie. Ooh. And also you have uh, Chad, and I'm going to butcher this last name, so I apologize, uh, Stalhesky, uh, who is going to direct, if you're not familiar with him. He directed some movie called John Wick. Yes. Might have heard of it. <laughs> uh, so reading from an article courtesy of the HollywoodReporter.com, quote, Paramount's adaptation of Tom Clancy novel Rainbow Six has found its director. Chad Stalhesky, the director of the John Wick movies, has been tapped to direct the feature project that is serving as a Michael B. Jordan action vehicle and follow up to the actor and studio's 2021 action thriller Without Remorse. Jordan is starring in Rainbow, Rainbow and is producing with Elizabeth uh, Rapuso via the duo's Outlier Society banner. Also producing are Alkiva Goldsman and Greg Lessons and Weed Road uh, Pictures, as well as Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec through the sawmill. Uh, Jordan will once again be playing Navy SEAL turned CIA operative John Clark, one of Clancy's more popular characters who appeared in the late author's Jack Ryan spy books. Clark also headlined two novels, Without Remorse and Rainbow Six, with the latter spawning a line of video games. Uh, Remorse served as a Clark origin story of sorts and was made during the pandemic. With theatrical releasing in flux, Paramount offloaded the movie to Amazon, where it debuted April 30th, 2021. Paramount intends to release Rainbow theatrically, sources say, although final decisions won't be made until later in the movie-making process. No plot details have been revealed, close quote. Uh, so super excited for this. Obviously, Rainbow Six is a well-known movie or book franchise. I'm probably well more, more known for a video game franchise, uh, the first of which came out for the N64, PlayStation 1, uh, and the Dreamcast, also the Game Boy Color, uh, on the two, 1999 and then in 2004, the Dreamcast, and then 2000 for the Game Boy Color, spawning off one, two, three, four, five, six, 
7, 8, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Christ, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 games. Wow. Uh, and the friend across various various consoles from the PC to the PlayStation 1, the Xbox, PlayStation 2, the GameCube, you know, PlayStation 3, the 360, mobile phones, the PSP, you know, PS4, Xbox One, the PS5, the new Xboxes, the Luna. You know, it's been on everything. It's obviously a well-known franchise. It's even mm-hmm. it's even uh, played competitively in some video game competitions across the world. Uh, I'm in, I'm interested in this. I'll, I'll be honest. I remember that first one, Without Remorse, coming out mm-hmm. on Amazon. I was like, oh, Michael B. Jordan, I'll get around to it if I get around to it. Never did. Had no idea it was tied into this. You yeah. Know? So now that I know this and it's going to be have this sequel coming out, I might actually go back and check it out now. Anything Michael B. Jordan's in, I'm watching. And we are on Creed Watch now, too. I uh, just watched the first one for the first time the other night. Uh, super excited for Creed 3. Yeah. You haven't even seen Creed 2 yet. Oh, I know. That's, like, that's coming soon. Like, this is a great franchise. And, and like I said, he's poised to have a big year, too. I'm excited to see what is going to happen with this show mm-hmm. or this movie. Like I say, it's interesting. And like I say, Tom Clancy stuff I'm, I'm usually into. Right. So I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, and certainly not least, we got a confirmation that one of my new favorite movie franchises is getting a fourth adaptation, and that is the Rush Hour franchise. Now I realize I'm a little <laughs> late to the party on this one, but I just watched the first three uh, not too long ago. So the fact that we've got a fourth one coming, I'm super excited for. Uh, reading from an article on Deadline.com, though, it reads, quote, Jackie Chan made a rare onstage appearance at the Red Sea Film Festival Thursday, where he told fans that he is currently in talks to make a fourth Rush Hour movie. Quote, we're talking about part four right now, he told the festival crowd, adding that he was going to meet with the film's director uh, this evening to discuss the script. He did not identify said director, but American filmmaker Brett Ratner directed all three previous versions. Ratner hasn't directed a film since 2014. In November 2017, uh, seven women, including Olivia Munn and Natasha Henstridge, accused the filmmaker of sexual harassment and misconduct, causing Warner Brothers to sever all ties with the producer-director with whom they had a lucrative deal. Uh, Chan starred in three Rush Hour films between 1998 and 2007, alongside comedian and actor Chris Tucker. The franchise follows a Hong Kong detective and detective inspector who forms an unlikely relationship with a loudmouthed LAPD officer to solve a series of international crimes. The original Rush Hour grossed $244 million worldwide for New Line Cinema and cemented the Hong Kong-born Chan as an English-language action star. However, Chan said that he expected the film to bomb at the box office and he had planned to quit Hollywood for good due to the lack of interesting roles he had been receiving. I tried so many times to go to Hollywood, but after that I said, no more Hollywood because my English is not good. They're not my culture. They don't like this kind of action, he said. Oh boy, was he wrong on that Yeah. Chan said he only received scripts about East Asian detectives in America, but he was keen to expand his creative endeavors when the script of For Rush Hour passed his desk. My manager said, look, there's a script. It's called Rush Hour. I said, no, Hong Kong police, I'm not going to do it. He said, Jackie, why don't you just try Why don't you try last time? I said, okay, this is the last time. After the film was released, Chan said he received a call from Ratner and Tucker who said, dude, we're a huge success. We're $70 million in the first weekend. For me, I don't have a count of what $70 million is. I don't know the box office. I just know, I just know it's certainly a success. And they... Uh, and then they made part two and part three, he added. Uh, so super close quote, super excited for this. I love the first three uh, Rush Hour movies. Two is the better of the three, but they're all fantastic. So the fact that we're going to get a fourth one, please give it to me. 
Great franchise for its time. I'm I'm interested to see if they can capture the magic again. It'll be interesting. I, I really am. And I always thought the soundtracks are really oh, good. The soundtracks are awesome. If you haven't deep dived into those. Yeah, oh yeah. Arguably I have to say like the the last great from track one to track the last track. Yeah. Like solid through. Oh yeah. For movie soundtrack. But yeah, they do a lot of great things with that. So that said, it's time to talk some comics. Uh huh. A lot of stuff at the shops this week. A lot of stuff. But I want to start off just kind of clarifying something that came across online. There was a little confusion on what's happening. So I went to the source itself, Marvel.com. Okay. So there is a big X-Men crossover coming out. Okay. Sins of Sinister. Okay. So we heard about this at New York Comic Con, and people were very curious to see about the fate of X-Men Red because what's going on is there's the event has taken place and they're going to do like what they did with age of apocalypse. Okay. Where the regular series stops for a bit. They do a separate series and then they come back. But I want to just read the official statement from marvel.com quote in just a few weeks, the entire Marvel universe will be twisted beyond the limits of your imagination by the sins of sinister. The highly anticipated X-Men crossover saga will kick off January 25th in sins of sinister. Number one, before unfolding across three limited series that will replace Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, and Legion of X starting mm. next month. Mm. So Immortal X-Men will take place instead of Immortal hmm. X-Men. Okay. Instead of X-Men Red, we're going to get Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. And instead of Legion of X, we're going to get Night Crawlers. Okay. So I know I paraphrased the last statement there, but I'll just put end quote on it. So for more information on that, they do have it up at Marvel.com. I'm super excited to check this crossover out. Anytime they do something like Age of Apocalypse, which for its time, it still holds up. Right. Absolutely groundbreaking crossover idea. I think it's it's great to do it. And especially with what they've been doing with the X-Men franchise. I know it's been a little different since Kirk or uh, Hickman left. Right. But it's still been some, some of the best books out there. So you definitely want to go check that out. Uh, so we'll just kick off with Marvel first. I know they got a big week going on. Dark Web is going strong. There's an X-Men 3 tie-in to it as well. Venom 15 has uh, got a big crossover going on with that as well. So if you're into that franchise, you definitely want to check it out. I know for Pad, it's Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 30. Hell yeah. So I know that you got that lined up on your pull list going on as well. DC, though, has a very, very big week. So if you've been following uh, a lot of our friends like Sean from The Caption Life, he's uh, done a few reviews about the Batman One Bad Day story of yeah. series. Yeah. Uh, the Bane issue is coming out. Ooh. So if you're a fan of Bane, you definitely want to check that out. World's Finest, number 11. Uh, what can you say? Dan Mora and Mark Wade. Like, how – you can't get much better than that. No. So you definitely want to check that out. I think is one of the best DC books out there. But if we're talking about the best DC book – there is one that stands out above all right now. It is the big cheersy winner. If you followed the award show with Brian Wayne and myself from Cheers the Comics Podcast. And that is done <laughs> by the one and only Tom Taylor. Mm. Uh, it's issue 100 of Nightwing. So nice. there is a lot of stuff going on. A lot of guest artists are on this. Like, what can you say about it? The fact Nightwing made it to 100 issues. And it's still consistently the best book uh, from DC. Like, you can argue it. I mean, for me, I always say it's world's finest, but Nightwing is 1B or 1A, depending on what issue I pick up. Right. And what can you say? It's Tom Taylor 
The covers for this have been amazing. And if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to go check it online. It is definitely, definitely, definitely worth picking up. I I know that uh, there's a big event that happens in here. I'm not sure how it's going to translate, but it's a little groundbreaking coming off the heels of what they were doing with Dark Crisis and everything going on there. So you should be picking it up anyway regardless, but if you haven't, definitely make a point to go pick it up this week. Nightwing 100 from DC is one of my biggest picks of the week. However, though, the stuff I have lined up for parlay points this week, absolutely insane lineup going on. Comixology Originals had a very big week, and I know there was some late-breaking news going on with that. We'll probably touch upon that next week when we get a little more information going on, but I know there's some people that were hitting up right before we came on air about it. So I'm not really ready to discuss it because I'm just trying to get all the facts lined up for that. But they had a monster week of books come out, and kicking off had to be Edge World number six. Now, Pat, are you familiar with this franchise? I don't think so, no. So this is one you're going to definitely want to keep your eyes out for because the uh, series is actually getting picked up by Amazon Studios for an animated series. Oh, okay. So they just came back with their second arc. So issue number six is out. And you definitely want to get into it if you're into sci-fi westerns. It's got a different vibe to it. Chuck Austin, Patrick Olive, uh is the team behind it. And it looked, it was a great issue. Like I said, it was the first time I dived into it. A lot of stuff that I get into. And I like how when they merge the themes together, like westerns and yeah. science fiction and a little mystery too. So it's something that if you're a new reader, don't be afraid to jump into. But issues one through five are now out on trade paperback via Dark Horse. So you definitely want to go pick up the book. And like I say, if it's coming to Amazon, you definitely want to go pick it up and Mm -hmm. and get ahead of the curve. Also, Comixology Originals this week. Census number five. So this book I've been covering for a while. It's quirky. It's fun. It's got a lot of heart to it. It's the story of a census worker pad who has been given the unfortunate task of doing the census counting. Mm. But he's not just counting normal people. He's counting the supernatural. Uh oh. And this has been an absolute trip to read to read. I love this book. Mark Bernadin, Adam Freeman, Sebastian Perez, uh, Bernardo Bryce, and Sarah Litt have been doing an amazing job with this book top to bottom. This is the end of the series, but if you go on ODPH Podcast Twitter at <laughs> ODPH Podcast, you see that Adam Freeman kind of, well, first he responded with a quote tweet thanking us for covering the book, which thank you to you uh, for you know shouting us out like that, and alluded that this is not the end. So I'm excited to see if they're coming back, which by the ending, no spoiler, but it's open-ended that I don't mm. think that this is the end, and I'm super excited to read this. This was had to be one of the biggest surprises for me of how much I really enjoy this. It's funny. It's smart. And it's definitely one that you can't help but root for the lead character. It has kind of like a like a more grounded Spider-Man vibe, but without the powers. Okay. So definitely worth checking out. Also, Comixology Originals. Like I said, Monster Week from them this week. Barnstormers number four. Scott Snyder, Tulalote. The period piece set in the World War I era has definitely hit the penultimate issue. A lot of things are happening with Bix and Trixie or uh, Tilly this year. I'm sorry. Nice. Um, the modern day Robin Hoods, if you will, of the aerial circuit uh, definitely get themselves into a situation that they are can only outrun danger so long. 
what Scott has set up with the drama here, it pays off. Okay. All bets are off going in issue number five, and Tulote's art is just phenomenal. Absolutely loved everything about this issue. They definitely hit their strides. Big moments are happening if you've been reading this issue since number one. So I am super excited to see how the finale is going to play out. Uh, expecting a lot of bad things to happen. Probably. But you know what? I'm not mad because this series has been absolutely awesome to read. I can't stress it enough. And I didn't get a chance to do a full review, but Retroverse, uh, number two by Comixology Unlimited, or uh, Originals, rather, Cullen Bunn, John Bivens, this very solid follow-up to the debut issue. They had the sci-fi vibe going on. A lot of craziness happening in this book, but it's definitely worth checking out. Like I said, Monster Week from Comixology this week. And like I always recommend, sign up for the limited package. It's one of the best deals in all of comics. And if you really want to get your hands on a lot of the prints, they do come out. A lot of these books come out via Dark Horse Comics a few months later. So keep your eyes out for that and definitely make sure you're going to the comic shops to check them out. Also, we have a big return amongst the indie comic scene, Pat. Okay. One of the books that we always hear a lot about amongst a lot of our fellow comic podcasts is Barbaric. Okay. Now, we've reviewed this a couple times. Volume 3 has just came out, Hell to Pay. Michael Mortisey, Nathan Gooden, Addison Duke, and Jim Campbell are bringing back Owen, Soren, and Axe, and just the insanity that is involved in this book. Issue number one of Hell to Pay is awesome. Definitely capture the vibe. The humor is there. The action is there. It really focuses a lot on Soren. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but it was very cool to see how this was all playing out. And if you haven't read Volumes 1, uh, Murderable Offenses, and Volume 2, Axe to Grind, definitely go check them out. They're on trade paperback form, I'm pretty sure. I know there was doing a, a rumor of a re-release, but I, have not gotten, uh, okay. I haven't seen too much of that. Check with your local uh, shops to find out. Absolutely. So you definitely want to go support them. Vault Comics, this has been one of the best indie books out in recent years, and they're poised for the Year of Axe. So there's a lot more barbaric-related books coming out. So it's definitely a big win-win for fans. Going over to our friends over at Boom Studios, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 104. Hey. So Melissa Flores, Simona D. Gianfelice, Kath Loeb, and Lobo, I'm sorry, and a lot of other creators got in for this one. And this, the whole re-up, or the creative team, rather, I should say, after Ryan Parrott, yeah. has been absolutely fucking killing it. I'm, I'm dropping F-bombs. That's how excited I am about this book. And what Flores and D. Gianfelice have been doing with this book is giving it some new life, reinventing some classic characters, doing some very cool storylines. And this issue, no spoilers, might be my favorite one of the bunch. Oh. And what they do is you really get the inside track origin of Mistress Vile. Okay. And what Melissa does with this character is... Absolutely awesome. I think it was a very cool way to set up how she came to be because we already know who she is. From If you watch the TV shows, you know she is. Right. And just how she transformed into this version of Mistress Vile, it wins on all fronts. They set up for what they've been building since issue 101 when they took over the book. Right. A lot of win. A lot of win with this book. I really, really highly recommend this book. A lot of stuff is going on with Power Rangers, too, if you've been uh, keeping track of Netflix, too. Yeah. 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary show with a lot of the cast coming back. Yeah, I think we'll have to have our good friend Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Gaming pop in to talk about that one because I know he's super excited about what's going on there as well. Also, by Boom Studios, 
A big book has made its return. A uh, little switch up to the creative, but still nevertheless, House of Slaughter, number 11. Tate Brombal, Antonio Fuso, uh, Miguel Muerto, and End World Design behind this one. Uh, bring it back an old friend if you read uh, the first story arc. So Jace Boucher is back, the butcher, and into the storyline that's going on there, uh, setting up a lot of groundwork. And the one thing to know about the whole something is killing the children slash House of Slaughter books they do the slow burn better than everybody. Oh, uh, okay. So this one is setting up a lot. And I will say this too, and I put this in the blog as well. If you have younger readers, there's a lot of very intense imagery because they open up with monsters doing what monsters do best. Reader discretion is advised. Yes. And I want to make sure that's that's stressed out because I would show Pad the uh, panels, but I know he's not into horror stuff. I don't do horror. I know. And that's why I'm I'm saying I'm not showing you. <laughs> not saying Pad couldn't handle it, but I know that he does not like seeing that stuff. Nope. So that said, I'm just going to give the ad- advice, be you know, reader fair warned. But it's uh, still a great series. House of Slaughter has definitely been quality after quality after quality. Whoever's been working on the book has done an amazing job with that. And my last big pick of the week, Immortal Sergeant, number one image comics, Joe Kelly and Ken Nimura. You know them from I Kill Giants. They're back together, bringing you a police detective story. And there's a lot going on with this as the lead character, Sarge, is going into retirement. So they're doing a little building of the groundwork for it. The book moves very fast. You're kind of putting stuff together a little bit here. So they definitely keep a lot of stuff vague for reader interpretation, in my opinion. But still a great read. You definitely want to go check that out. And as we always say here at the ODPH, support your favorite local po- or independent podcasts that cover comics. And always remember to go support your local comic shops. That said, for everything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Kenan. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. <laughs>